0: Basically, what we do is we identify some of the best investment locations throughout the United States. We build teams in those areas to either renovate or build houses, lease and professionally manage them and then are and then sell them to investors. So we, we bring turnkey investment properties in locations where we have confidence in and have teams established so people can easily scale or diversify their portfolio into some of these different markets that, that have attractive returns.
1: You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com.
2: Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and listening to our episode that we have ahead, which is a really good one. And I'm not going to be talking that much because you can hear me with my scratchy voice, Rory. The benefit of our whole audience and you and our esteemed guest, Zach, you guys are going to be carrying this conversation and you probably have more to say uh, content-wise than I do anyway.
3: So you're welcome. Thanks, Jason. Uh, thanks for ducking out of it a little bit. But that leaves me with the privilege to introduce um, our guest today, Zach LeMester, who is the CEO and founder of rent to retirement which is the world's largest uh, turnkey provider of um, residential real estate investments. And wh- I'm excited to speak with Zach and introduce him to our audience for a number of reasons, but in large part because I think his story resonates with me a little bit. He is a professional optometrist who found his path to um, wealth outside of the profession itself um, so before I you know incorrectly tell your whole story Zach uh, welcome to the podcast
0: hey guys thanks so much for having me Rory Jason it's a pleasure to be here and yeah I think we've got a lot of interesting topics to talk about
3: I want to start with what um, resonates with me um, pretty specifically um, you know as somebody who created a professional practice fairly young I found especially if you're not prepared for it creating your own businesses can be financially draining, but also a very lonely experience. So I kind of want to uh, ask you about your experience with that and then how you transitioned from um, your earlier career into the real estate world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's 100% true. I think most people that are interested in investing in real estate have that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. And the fact of the matter is when you were building a real estate portfolio, even if it's one rental, you're building a business, right? Um, and you need to approach it like a, like a business. And one thing I found though is before I even transitioned from, um, optometry into being full time real estate, which was a big, a big transition and hard to mentally get over after spending, you know, half a million dollars on education mm-hmm. over eight years and then just not, not even using that anymore was just the fact that thinking the way to think about money, I think is, was a hard transition. So much there's so much in life. We have people that are willing to tell us their opinions about, what to do and what not to do and oh, that won't work and you're kind of swimming upstream a little bit when you're looking at going outside of the normal process of you know and we, we're not taught about money uh right mm-hmm. so anyone that's a kiyosaki fan i mean that's that's 101 just how to think about yeah. think about money um but it's it was a kind of yeah it was a lonely path for a while but i think surrounding also what's helped me be successful is surrounding myself with groups of communities of other people that are on that same journey uh, and sometimes it's hard to find those but I mean, we, we've been investing in real estate for almost 15 years now. And I say me, like my wife and I and our company, but um, it, it started out in the Air Force. I, I spent seven years in the Air Force as a captain uh, practicing optometry, and we invested that entire time. Even the first house we bought was a duplex and just kept trading up every single year. Uh, and then we moved. I, I left the Air Force. We moved out to Colorado. We owned private practices and worked in optometry here. And then eventually, we just got too busy with real estate and we were able to replace our active income. Uh, and go into full time real estate, and, and that's kind of been the journey. But lots of ups and downs for sure. Just to
3: make a point, I want to ask about um, going to like many many years of professional um, higher education. When you were studying optometry, did they teach you about the business of, of optometry in school, or is that something you were forced to learn on your own after the fact?
0: We had we had one course that was a one elective hour is even elective hour um and i took it but it was uh it was one business course and um i think we like came up with uh it's kind of a joke we came up with our business name and like mission mm-hmm. and vision statement you know and that, that was the extent of it and what i found and probably a lot of people can uh, relate to this is especially in the healthcare uh, world like you're wearing multiple hats right if you're in mm-hmm. private practice you're a business owner and and you're a uh, physician, right? And you're seeing patients, and it's like not many people can be really good at both. And often we find people lacking in the business acumen. So the short answer is no, not not much education there. Kind of a school of hard knocks. All right. And then for somebody who's had um,
3: so much education, um, where did you get your business education and um, training on you know growing your entrepreneurial endeavors?
0: That is real world experience 101. And, um, you know, I continue, that's, that's a lifelong journey, uh, you know, and I think that real estate is a, is a really cool way to learn about business, because in, in real estate, just like many businesses, is, su- is such a relationship type of business. Um, you really learn negotiations and how to, you know, whether you're doing self, self-management with your properties, um, we've just learned uh, the the hard way, um, but also the fun way. and And now I've have mentors in, in my sphere that I, I learn a lot from that are you know far ahead of where where I am and where I want to be
3: tell us a little bit about your first investments um, and wh- how you started to kind of pivot your um, your mindset into real estate as opposed to everything else
0: well our first so back in the day I think even in optometry school I've always been interested in building businesses and and doing something just like getting ahead um, and mm-hmm. and working hard to do that and grinding. I mean, there was a point in time when I was in the Air Force, I had I actually had private practice clinics in in town where I was, you know, Tuesday, Thursday evenings. I was there seeing patients Saturday, Sunday. I was seven days a week um, running that business as well as full time with the Air Force. Um, and I was always just trying to hustle. And and, you know, that's really served me well to get ahead. But in real estate, the same same exact thing. I got the bug, I think, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad called the Purple Bible uh, and then, you know, bought our first, I used a VA loan, so no money down on a duplex in North Dakota and, uh, ended up, you know, paying for the mortgage, just having a tenant in there, moved out of that one, did it again, rinse and repeated, and, um, just continued to scale that way and, and learn more and more. And then we got to the point where we started to invest strategically in other markets where we saw better opportunity, not just where we lived, And that's what allowed us to exponentially increase our portfolio and, and start making this a, a real business.
2: When did you consider yourself a real estate professional in relation to being an optometrist? Like, was there a time that you were both in your head or early on in your career, were you an optometrist that did some real estate on the side and then that kind of transitioned?
0: Yeah, it's probably if you if you looked at a graph, it'd be something, something like mm-hmm. this, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. where there is a breaking point and I, I left because I started eventually I stopped, I like cut my work hours down to four days a week, three days, two days, one day is doing the optometry. And I've always, always hustled with real estate. It started out with as a side hustle, which I think is such a cool thing, right? Like you can do, you can be a part-time professional investor, um, and, and work in your W2 position or, or have multiple businesses and in, in real estate. If you get it, once it's set up, it could be somewhat passive and you can continue to grow it. But I remember, I mean, same sort of thing. I mean, I was, I always had rentals. I actually bought my first rental property before I even started practicing as an optometrist. Um, and I was always doing that. And we eventually, I mean, I, one thing I tell people too is Jason is that we've bought more and more real estate and going back about 15 years now, every single year we've bought more than the previous year. We've continued to scale. Sometimes that's far. We have to raise private capital. We've gone through 10, 31 exchanges, um, you know, where we're buying millions of dollars of real estate every single year to, our, to just hold in our own portfolio. But I mean, there was times in, in where I was, uh, you know, in, in lunch in between patients, um, you know, making offers on properties and uh, coordinating that stuff. You know, early morning, I would drive where I lived in North Dakota. The base was about 45 minutes away. And of course, you know, winter storms, it could be an hour and a half sometimes commute. I was on the phone making offers, you know, and stuff mm-hmm. uh, during that time. And I was uh, utilizing that. But eventually it got to the point where it's like, hey, you, you got to choose a path and fully commit. And and we chose real estate. And of course, that's way more lucrative anyway. So,
3: yeah. and that's an interesting question, Jason, um, because I've worked with a number of professionals who have had um, successful small um, practices or law practices or other endeavors. And they end up turning to real estate investments um, as their retirement in many cases because. Either the education and getting the business started meant that they're later in life um, getting started with retirement planning. So they want to make up the difference or they just look around and see that some of the traditional retirement accounts that are out there um, aren't necessarily the best opportunity. If it's if you're the employer and the employee um, themselves. Mm -hmm. Can I comment about that
2: also, you know. Talk about identity and work. I mean, like yep. work is so ingrained in all of our identities. You know, usually when you're meeting someone for the first time, you ask them, you know, so what do you do? Right. Um, and, and you know, Zach, you went to school for optometry and then you served the country uh, and you practiced that. You know, I had a career before I called myself a real estate investor full time but i'm still trying to get over that like you know i remember you know the, the the pre-world which was not that long ago but i had that same transition where you know 2016 is when we started started investing on the side and and i'm i'm still coming to terms with calling myself a real estate investor when people ask what i do because i remember what i did when people ask you that question, Zach, and I know that, you know, with rent to retirement, you have a whole built out business. Do you start by saying that I'm a retired optometrist or still practicing optometrist or like, how does that factor into your identity when you're meeting people like at a cocktail party?
0: We have two young kids, so we don't, we don't get out too many cocktail parties. So, <laughs> but I mean, in that uh, introduction, I, I totally relate to the real estate aspect. Now that wasn't always the case. Um, and to your point, Jason, I mean I I was very proud to be an optometrist. And you know, it took a lot of time and, and work and education to get there. And I really enjoyed what we did. Like I legitimately enjoy helping people see because I've I have terrible vision and my optometrist was influential in my life. But now we practice on a volunteer basis and we have humanitarian missions and like we can still do that passion, but it's not our our sole focus. But there were so many people, my mother-in-law included, when we were when I was like, okay, I'm going to leave optometry, and they're like, don't don't do that, you know, that's not mm-hmm. the safe route. And uh, it, so it was it was kind of a tough transition. And but people ask you what you do, and you're real estate investor. It's like, like what does that even mean, right? Because there's so much to do in real estate. It's like uh, I have a hard time explaining that just briefly. So I'll just probably leave it at that. But I'm a real estate yeah. investor now, but
2: could you talk a little bit about what you do at Rent to Retirement? Because you know, when you go through the website, there's just so much information here. I was uh, s- struck by the size of the team that you have, whether they're full time or advisors. You know, you've really built out a lot of different nooks and crannies of a full planning team. And I have heard some of your previous podcasts where you talk a lot about uh, the value of long term rentals and buy and hold strategy. So, you know, talk a little bit about what what the business is all about.
0: Absolutely. So our company, Rent to Retirement, we're we're a turnkey provider. That's one of those buzzwords out there that is kind of ill-defined. So basically what we do is we identify some of the best investment locations throughout the United States. We build teams in those areas to either renovate or build houses, lease and professionally manage them, and then are, and then sell them to investors. So we, we bring turnkey investment properties in locations where we have confidence in and have teams established so people can easily scale or diversify their portfolio into some of these different markets that, that have attractive returns. Um, and we, we try to take a comprehensive approach into helping people build a business because as we talked about in the beginning, this is a business when you're investing in real estate, especially diversified across the country. And so there's all sorts of ancillary things that come alongside that as far as like the tax, the legal, the accounting, the financing side, like you, there's all those things that you need to have in place to really make this a sustainable business model long-term. And so we, we go through and offer the coaching and mentorship with our clients to, to build sustainable portfolios. Uh, We mainly do single family. I would say that's about the bulk of 70% of what we do, but we also have small and large multifamily. We do a lot of new build and development projects in areas that are, that are in the path of progress. Hopefully that makes sense. That's my elevator pitch. So
3: No, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I kind of just want to parse through that some of that, you know, a little bit because you are in many ways you're taking a lot of the you are Curating a lot of the decisions that the p- potential investors have um, down to which markets that you vetted, which properties that you vetted and, you know, what repairs and work that you've um, prioritized in a property. When you're looking around um, the the country,
0: what markets speak to you um, as strong markets and do they shift over time? They're always dynamic. They're always changing. I mean, we have some like Midwestern markets, which are just like slow and steady bread and butter market, investment markets, right? I mean, those aren't going to have crazy appreciation. They're not going to be influenced by a, a housing correction too much. They're always going to have housing demand and, and rentals. So those are your your bread and butter, $150,000 cash flowing properties that we own a ton of and mm-hmm. we'll always like, but we also like to look for markets that are in the path of progress where you get appreciation potential as well. Um, We want to be in areas that have landlord-friendly legislation. You guys probably know all about this, um, you know, and, and the challenges with that. So We want to have have favorable tax structures. We want to be in areas that have a diversity of industries, not just reliant on, say, oil or gas. We want to be in areas that have population growth, economic growth, have high rental ranges relative to home prices, so you can actually be positive cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. So with the markets, we really like that I'm super excited about. Probably Florida is our our top market right now. Um, In Florida, over this past year, just looking at 2022 statistics, had the highest percentage growth out of any state. Texas beat Florida in terms of population numbers, but uh, percentage growth, Florida was number one. Um, and we just like being in areas where there's just an undersupply of housing and a huge demand because we know that it's just a safe place to be. So we've had exceptional uh, returns, like sometimes over 50% over the past couple of years in some of our Florida markets. So we like the Sun Belt um, in the path of progress, Texas, Carolinas, Alabama is, as well. And then the Midwest is just a nice place to have a consistent rental as well.
3: I mean, the past few years have brought us kind of one major change after another, um, and it's had some kind of interesting um, academic effects on a lot of the markets that are out there. Um, you know, right now, as we sit in 2023, we're coming off of kind of a rapid rate um, in mortgage uh, rates that has shaped everything that we do it has had a lot of ripple effects across different markets how is it changing your buy and hold strategy um on behalf of your clients um the the environment that we're in right now specifically around the interest rates yeah i mean so the higher rates and the low inventory have made it you know relatively difficult particularly in our market to find um, properties that are cash flowing um with a you know with a mortgage on top of it Um, has it impacted your business at all has it um changed um you know your processes at all or your markets
0: yeah to some degree of course i mean uh, some people expected there to be this this housing correction and drop which we really haven't seen in in most markets at least not the markets we participate in because again mm-hmm. that supply and demand It's just those are consistently strong markets um obviously higher interest rates which in my opinion this is necessary right like this is everyone was living in this fantasy land over the past few years with historically low interest rates that we may never see again um you know they're artificially kept low and you know at some point people use that as the norm and it, it's not <laughs> so i think this is necessary to make this more of an even playing field for for uh the the market um but yeah it's still challenging there's still an undersupply and in a lot of the areas, and and cash flow is less. When you have a mortgage that was could have been four or five percent, now it's six or seven percent. Like the the cash flow is less. So does that mean you need to change your your underwriting criteria potentially? Do you need to put more money down? Um, you know, potentially yes. And so you, we've sharpened the pencil a little bit in terms of our our offers and and how we're underwriting properties. But the fundamentals of real estate really haven't changed. And, you know, especially with the tax benefits that, that are still very attractive in, in this year like they were last year, um, you know, we're still seeing people be very active. If they're if not, I mean, over the past six months, I would say on the tail end of 2022, people had this a little bit of this fear factor of, oh, we don't know what's happening. And now they've maybe come to terms like, oh, now this is normal and this mm-hmm. is what we expect. And, you know, as long as you as long as you have a strategy in place and you're working with the right people in the right market. You can be successful in any cycle right and the people that are really successful in real estate um and people that i get mentored by they're always buying they're not talking about oh interest rates are higher now they're talking about this is how i'm being successful right now right so we try to emulate that um that's great so you know i kind of also
3: want to let you give a little bit of pitch for kind of your um segment of the business and that being turnkey um you know why should um a prospective investor look to a turnkey provider instead of kind of going out and doing everything on their own.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits to turnkey in terms of, and obviously I'm biased, this is our business, but most of our investors do not only buy properties with us. They see this fills a need and a demand to the level that they want to invest. And they're also going out and doing some of their own things. However, there are some people that are busy professionals that they like real estate and they have no interest in self-managing or know going through that and so that's that serves a, a perfect uh niche for that but turnkey is a great option for people to say get started if they've never bought a property and they need some hand holding they want to avoid the common pitfalls and they want the you know the education process throughout that uh that's what we strive to to offer is the education for someone to be successful long term um or if it's their first time investing out of state if they simply just want to diversify across some of these areas, Turnkey is an easy way to do that versus having to build your own team from the ground up in an area, which is a huge lift and can have you know a lot of challenges to do so. Um, and also, just people that want to scale quicker—they want to acquire more properties. They are full-time investors, and they just you know they're doing what they're doing, and then they, but they want to still put their money into real estate assets in these markets and just buy more property. So those are kind of I think the the demographics of people that we often see. Come through the turnkey space,
3: okay and you know I'd be remiss if I didn't ask um, a little bit more in depth about why we why we real estate investors do all this in the first place, and you know the words that come to mind are you know financial independence and retirement, but those terms mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, um, and since you work with people to bring them toward financial independence into um, retirement, uh, would you mind taking a crack at defining those for us?
0: Yeah, and I'll try to define them um, actually with uh, a financial picture and exact numbers because financial. Well, first of all, I'll say that real estate investing, at least in in my opinion, is a lifelong journey, um, and ideally something that if we leave as a legacy, right? Not not only we're talking about generational wealth with legacy financially, but legacy in terms of education and tools and resources for um, you know the people behind us that we want to uh, leave in a better place. And that's why I think that's why we're passionate about real estate. um, And that's why we're in this business. I don't need to be working in this business today, but I enjoy helping people accomplish their goals and see the light and be successful in in real estate. But most of the time, there's different levels of like retirement per se. And a lot of us, this is a foreign subject. Initially, it's just like, oh, I want to pay my pay my uh, expenses. Right. So that's whatever that is, is, three dollars to $5,000 a month, like that's the first goal I want to get to. And sometimes your mind doesn't allow you to think past that until you reach that goal. And then from there, it's it's the next step of retirement, which is rep- or financial independence, which is replacing your active income um, through rental real estate. And this could be being an active investor or pa- through passive real estate. We try to look at building a passive portfolio. Otherwise, you're just trading one job for the other. Um, and so that's, you know, whether that, I mean, the most common number we hear is $10,000 a month. That's my goal, and then once people achieve that, it's like, oh, I can actually increase my level of um, exp- you know expenses and, and and lifestyle, and and also look at yes, how do I create that that legacy? And so those are kind of the three stages that we we walk people through.
3: And I mean, a lot of that feels um, you're dealing with numbers and you're dealing with the calculations and the real estate investments, but you're actually holding people's hands as they kind of transform their lives, kind of take on different mindsets. I know when. We first started doing real estate investing, um, the concept of financial independence and certainly retirement felt strange. Retirement is, you know, sitting on the beach when you're an elderly person um, enjoying your last few years. And now I've certainly had my mind open in the real estate space to seeing it as um, the opportunity to dictate what you do with your own time. And a lot of people who are, quote unquote, retired are still working um, very actively. Um when you are working with your your clients through that process, you know what does that look like to them, and how does their their mindset shift uh, when they move into the latter stages of financial independence and retirement?
0: And we're kind of coming full full circle with where we opened up on uh, with these the entrepreneurial mindset and journey being somewhat of a, a lonely <laughs> a lonely journey, and like you, it is a mind mind shift uh, change, right? Because I think that. It really it comes down to time, right? All of us think about time. What do we want? That's that's the financial independence is being able to choose what you who you spend your time with and, and what you're doing. Um but it's not, it's it's we found being involved in your your passion and spending time with that. Um and and so it's it's it is an evolution mentally, but most people are in that, that first stage. How do I cover my expenses or possibly to replace their active income? There's a lot of different things you got to start thinking about. And, and sometimes it is a struggle because if you're a W-2 employee, you don't have to think about stuff that sometimes on the entrepreneur you know path, there's no off, there's no off switch, right? It's like sometimes you're constantly thinking about this stuff. I know that I, I'm guilty at some point of, we all are of, of that. So, so it's, a lot of it is setting up the systems in place to be able to have a scalable and sustainable business model. For example, if you are self-managing your properties, at some point, that will drive you mad if you if you own enough properties. You know what I mean? And to really scale, you need to hire and get staffing. Hiring talent and hiring people within our own active business and our portfolio, that is such a key component. And so you just, you're just you constantly learning stuff as you're going through the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, but I th- I think our focus is looking at how to build a sustainable portfolio from the fact that you know, if you read the E Myth by Michael Gerber, I think that's one of my favorite books. Where it talks about like working on your business, not in your business. Being a you know an engineer or, or a technician, I mean, but um, that's that's the journey we take people through and, and try to educate them on is you know how do you build this so you can focus on the overall business and then you can truly enjoy retirement, not just be buying yourself another eighty hour work week.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, if somebody's listening to us for the first um, and they're having this thought for the first time, which I doubt, but if they wanted to start taking the first steps into moving away from kind of the traditional um, W-2 job um, with, you know, 401k investments, if somebody wanted to take the first step, um, what are some good resources and how can they connect with you to, to start moving that ball forward?
1: We'll be right back.
0: Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true
3: cash flow, including depreciation, and your true net equity on a property is
0: the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. Yeah. And if, if they haven't bought their first property, I would say that's step one. You know, sometimes we, we all get in the analysis paralysis uh, and that's fine. Like, you know, there's always something, politics, COVID, interest rates, recession, war, whatever the kid, there's always going to be noise and excuses. Like, there's a, there's always opportunity too. Um, and so I would encourage someone to, if they're interested in real estate, like buy your first property. If that so happens to be be a turnkey route, fantastic. If not, fantastic, just do it. Um but if they want to uh, learn about my company or connect with our team, you know, we're happy to we don't charge anything for education. We make our money through the renovation and sale of the properties. Um you know, but we're happy to spend time to go through and map out your goals and strategy plan and talk about some of the best investment markets. They can go to rentretirement that's rent t o and, uh, you know, learn more about us, look at inventory, schedule a, a time to meet with my team.
3: Actually, I want to float kind of one avatar of buyer that we see in our market here. So, you know, we're in Boston, which is, you know, it doesn't come up in a lot of people's um, hot investment list, but it's a it's a market where the supply um, definitely can't meet the demand for housing. Um, but a very, you know, landlord friendly or very tenant friendly state in the first place. We see a lot of people who are looking for the first time their their primary residence and the first time home um and they are priced out of the market um and i think interest rates do matter for this particular person but a lot of those people now are actually getting an investment property as the first property that they've ever owned um you know when it comes to investing in um, investment properties versus you know having a, a primary residence do you think people need to wait to invest in an investment property until they own their their primary residence or can they jump right in
0: huge topic here they i think you absolutely can own an investment property you do not have to go down the primary residence route i mean the big question with that too is like is that even an asset if it's not producing Mm -hmm. income it sure is if it's appreciating but i mean um i mean otherwise it's just on the liability sheet and an expense but uh yeah I, i think investing you don't have to. You don't have to wait until you own your primary residence. I mean, walking through and evaluating the property, it's really the same process with the additional layer of okay, let's let's look at the business side of this and analyze the numbers. A lot of people will buy primary residence and then move out of it and then use that as a rental, right? Or maybe you combined it where you um, have a uh, like a duplex or you do some house hacking where you rent out half and um, you know live in the other half so you can combine it like like we did for our first one. So. Uh, but we have a lot of people that live in expensive markets, and it frankly just makes more sense for them to rent um, than it does to to buy a house there. And they have large rental portfolios, right? And their and their cash flow on their rentals are more than covering their their rent numbers. Um, so to each their own. But do not, yeah, if you haven't bought a property yet, don't do not think that you have to buy your primary first before you buy an investment property.
2: That's actually fascinating to hear. You know, we've always been in the mindset of buy bye buy you know just us personally in fact the office that rory is sitting in we own that also because we didn't want to pay rent to somebody else for office space right so we looked around a little bit and we're like screw this you know hmm. just let's go find somewhere that we could actually buy and own and, and and that worked out really well for us um but yeah you know markets like boston what we did personally you know we traded up a couple times in the city and we did use the equity as a bit of a piggy bank you know whereas a lot of people just want to pay their mortgage down and then say that they don't owe anything on their primary home and they could just be fat and happy we put that money to work you know so we took out home equity lines of credit multiple times we put that uh that equity into investment properties that are cash flowing properties uh we were able to trade up and then we moved out of boston uh, Traded down mortgage uh, size-wise and double the size of where we're living, and you know, on the portfolio goes. So you know, everyone has their own pathway as to how they do it. Um, but you know, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, you know the the debate of is your primary home an asset or a liability? It could be either. It's just how you hold it. You know, I've always been under the mindset of my primary home or our primary home is an asset uh, because. We're not going to wrap up all our money in it, you know. If it appreciates in value, which every one of them has, we're going to use that to our advantage, which we have.
0: I love that. And um, there is such a thing as return on equity, right? And yeah, so and ca- capital to invest is the most limiting factor for everybody. And so being creative with using things like helocs to expand your portfolio just another resource. Yeah
2: it's been a combination of, you know, smarts and some dumb luck. I mean, Mm -hmm. we ended up in a really good neighborhood in Boston that got really hot. So, you know, I can't say that in 2003, I had the foresight to be where we are today, but, uh, Hey, part of real estate is just persistence and waiting and it's being smart, right? And taking, taking consistent
0: action. People ask about Uh what's the number one thing that separates people from being successful from those who are not. And my answer is consistency. Because just like to your point, Jason, I mean, sometimes if you own enough property, some of them won't work out right and some of them mm-hmm. won't be great investments, but then some of them will surprise you 10 years later and just be like, and those are game changers, um, you know, just by just by investing and you didn't have that foresight, but you did take action and you just kept taking action, right?
2: Yeah, we, we had a previous guest many episodes ago, Pam Hill. She mentioned the lottery ticket value of a property, which i love that term. You know, if you buy enough of them, eventually one of them might become that lottery ticket that, you know, is the property that opens up right next to, you know, a major employer that comes to town or a new sports stadium or a hot neighborhood. And there's your lottery ticket right there. I love that. So before I get to the final couple of questions, I do have one last question. And you got to tell us about those North Dakota winters man they look brutal on the news <laughs>
0: when i see it. i tell people i was uh deployed in uh in north dakota instead of being <laughs> stationed there because it was uh the great white north and the tundra um yeah, yeah. when it snows there it doesn't melt yeah. man it doesn't melt till june it's just no. keep compounding so that's real estate is a is a different ball game there for sure
2: and, and some of those windshield maps my god when the jet stream <laughs> just drops down to texas i'm just looking there saying how do they do it i have no idea those are negative numbers we don't even see in new england but
0: yeah you get thick uh, blood real quick
2: yeah yeah (laughs) um let's get to the final couple questions we ask these of all of our guests in the podcast just as a way to wrap things up and learn a little bit more about you uh the first one we have for you zach is if you could get on stage and talk with zero preparation for about half an hour about any topic in the world what would that
0: be
1: We'll be right back.
3: Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes.
0: I mean... probably all the stuff we've, we've just already talked about right I, I think uh, obviously I'm very passionate about real estate. my favorite my favorite topic in real estate though is actually tax you uh, talk about taxes we our goal is to buy because we are real estate professionals buy enough real estate every year to reduce our taxable income to zero via cost segs mainly. Um, but this is um, I mean that when you when we learned about the tax benefits of real estate and, and how to strategically use that that changed our trajectory of our investing and really allowed us to expedite things. So while that is a pretty dry topic for most, I really like talking about the entrepreneurial journey and to Rory's uh, initial points. I mean, that's that's tough stuff. And when I, when I hear people that are kind of going through or have gone through positions where I, I am currently, and that's super motivating, and those are the most influential things for me.
2: Yeah, that is not a dry topic to Rory Mm -hmm. and me. We just did our first two cost seg studies and it's eye-opening. I
0: love it. Awesome. Yeah.
2: What do they say? It's not the money that you make, it's the money that you keep.
0: The money that you keep and then that money reinvested is just like when you actually run an ROI on that. I mean, yes, it's deferred depreciation, but you can 1031 that. But I mean, Mm -hmm. just a simple fact of like being in high tax brackets and then not paying that money to Uncle Sam and then reinvesting it. That's how you get that snowball, man. That's just exponentially gross.
2: Yeah, they don't teach that to you in optometry school.
0: They do not.
2: <laughs> Second question we have, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today.
0: Let me think on this one because there's there's a lot. I could jump I could jump quickly to um, a lot of uh, issues that we've had. Um, let, let me talk about an unfavorable topic of losing a lot of money um, into the seven figures, but... Um, this is solely from forming a bad partnership um, and not going through the legal due diligence that I needed to in terms of you know funding. So th- I had a partner early on in our career path. He almost buried our company. And actually, this was a separate company. This was not. But the money I made from rent retirement retirement f- funded this project. Um, and basically, this was a, uh, a rehab project, basically a syndication. We were co-GPing on where we had a partner that we had done some smaller scale rehab with, and ended up funding a lot of stuff that uh, the money we we funded into the seven figures was not actually used for rehab, um, and was this person ended up filing bankruptcy, chapter seven and eleven, uh, and we ended up you know just basically getting pennies. We haven't even received that back yet, um, years years later. It's just chaos. But what I've learned is we jumped into a partnership that was not necessary too early on and did not do our due diligence um, on the partnership and one partnerships can be extremely valuable um, but it's just important not to get into them too early to have set expectations at, especially as you grow and just do your due diligence on people um, you know going into it so that is maybe not a super fun topic to talk about but because of that um, in the learning lesson through that we, we've been able to form um, new partnerships that have just been great one of my mentors always told me in real estate that you always you, you either make money or you learn and that was his way of saying you know you lose money but all those things the school of hard knocks I mean if you apply it um you know it just allows you to be that much more successful moving forward
2: that is one of the best answers we've had for that question worry we need to get into the habit of not asking the final three questions in advance because we didn't prep you Zach with those questions um yes yeah, so thank you for sharing that
3: and that's, I mean, there's, we could talk for another hour about, I think, the dangers of not entering into partnerships and the dangers of entering into partnerships, um, because there are a lot, a lot of problems both ways. Um, but I thank you for that answer, because I'm sure that was not, um, you know, it was a learning experience, but I'm sure it was
0: not one that, um, that you remember fondly. I will say this, though, because of, because of that bad experience, we actually got introduced to other people. Um, it's it's such a people business, right? I mean, business in general, but especially real estate, it's all networking. We were actually able to meet people because of that, that changed our business, um, that we actually made way more money back than than we lost. It just took time. So we didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. then, but I mean, it's just, it's interesting how it comes uh, full circle.
2: Yeah. It's wild. That is wild. Final question we have. Tell us something that you're listening to or watching or reading these days. It could be anything in the world.
0: All right, I'll throw out uh, a YouTube star who's kind of intrigued me recently, um, Alex Formose. Um, I don't know if anyone watches him, but he's just this young entrepreneur that has just really kind of blown my mind. Um, I love watching his stuff. And I've, I've transitioned like really early on in our career. It was all real estate education, real estate, real estate, real estate. And then it became more business, 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 and focusing on scaling the business. Um, I really enjoy his stuff. Uh, his book hundred million Dollar offers is is great. Um, yeah, and uh, we we follow bigger pockets a lot on the real estate yeah. and business side. Um, so you know, hopefully that's a value.
2: I just found your BP um, profile page. Actually, I saw a video that you shot at BBcon this year. I was also there, uh, but oh, as nice. we're you know thousands of people, so I'm not surprised that we didn't cross paths.
0: Well, we do a lot of advertising with them too, so you'll, <laughs> you know. I was wondering
2: why you were in their podcast studio. Where would you have access to that? Because you're an advertiser.
0: Um, no, they didn't, because they're very particular about the guests. Like you can't buy podcasts with them. You can't. They wanted to be very just organically education based. What we did there, um, and that's just I, I began to know some of the hosts there, and um, you know, collaborate on different stuff. And I, I was able to sit in on a uh, rookie podcast. We did a live rookie yep. podcast recording there. So that's what we use the studio for. And then, and actually we were able to use it for some of our own recording as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love that podcast. I saw um one of the hosts, what, what's the woman's name? That's the host. Do you remember? Ashley. Ashley. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she was also in charge of one of the panels there that I sat through. So
0: awesome. Yeah. That's um,
2: great. Rory, why don't you bring it home? I shouldn't be talking right now with this voice that I have.
3: Um, yeah. So I just want to, you know, before we depart, if it, you know, and we mentioned it earlier, but remind our listeners where they can find you and reach out to you.
0: Absolutely. Um, best place is to visit our website, renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. That has links to all our social media. 800 number is 800-311-6781. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've got a ton of resources out there. Our goal is to add value to anyone that comes in our community. We're all active investors here on the same journey. We do a lot of short-term rentals and commercial and multifamily and single family. So um, please reach out and be happy to schedule a time with with anyone.
3: Well, thank you for joining us, Zach. And if you're looking for Jason, you can reach Jason at jason at nexthometitletown.com. His voice will be back by the team. You hear this anyway, but you can send him an email directly there. And if you're looking for me, Rory Gill, I'm available through my law practice, Urban Village Legal. That's urbanvillagelegal.com and next home title town my brokerage that's nexthometitletown.com thank you zach uh for joining us on the podcast and thank you all for listening thank you
1: this has been the real estate law podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments we're powered by next home title town greater boston's progressive real estate brokerage more at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.